you know, we can't do anything about six months from now. We've got to go day by day. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness. There's going to be some griminess. But we're leaving it within the line, and I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton. A New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. Well, we're heading into week seven, and for the New York Giants, things just aren't getting any better. Back-to-back blowout losses to the Cowboys, and then at home to the Rams. The crowd departs shortly after the 2011 Super Bowl championship team is honored at MetLife Stadium. And here we are. On this week's show, Adoree Jackson joins me to talk about what's gone wrong in the secondary, his journey from USC through Tennessee to the Giants, had some fun with Adoree despite the struggles of the secondary, and then in our Behind Frenemy Line segment, Darren Gant of Panthers.com talks about the Panthers Matt Rule, what he's trying to build in Carolina. No Christian McCaffrey this weekend. What should we expect from Sam Darnold and the Carolina defense? All of that on today's show. So where would the Giants go from here? It's a valid question. As I wrote in my column on NorthJersey.com, coming off of the game on Sunday... The crowd at the Coliseum wants blood. And they're looking to the owner's box and they want to see John Mara put his thumbs up or thumbs down. And I say just John Mara because Steve Tisch is not involved necessarily in the day-to-day football operations. John Mara is, so he's obviously the front man here. And this really goes back two years to the Giants' decision to fire Pat Shermer and to keep Dave Gettleman here. Because what's happened now is that Joe Judge is wrapped up in the failures of the previous regimes. Because John Marrow is involved, it goes back to 2017. So people can just point at John Mara, go back to that year, and say what happened with Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese was on his wash. He's the owner. He and Steve Tisch sign the checks. Then when Dave Gettleman is brought in, you jump from McAdoo to Shermer. And whatever decisions that did not work out for the Giants in 2018 and 2019 belong to Shermer and Gettleman. But also, what went wrong in 2017 are attached to that regime as well. Then the Giants decide to fire Pat Shermer And in January of 2019, Mara, Gettleman, assistant GM Kevin Abrams, the Giants decide to hire Joe Judge. And the Judge-Gettleman regime right now is 22 games old. But it sure feels like it goes back to the beginning of 2017. And that's not necessarily fair to Joe Judge. Let's put it right out there right now. 
it's unfortunate for Joe Judge that he's got to be grouped in all that failure. And ultimately, if the Giants decide to make a free uh, a change in the front office with Dave Gettleman, it's something that probably should have happened when Pat Shermer was dismissed. But the Giants kept Gettleman here. They believed that he was going to make changes that benefited the franchise for the long term. Now, there are some changes that have been made internally that have shown positive results internally. But ultimately, it doesn't matter when the record is what the record is. So you're going to see people now lose their patience with Joe Judge. And as I wrote a column in NorthJersey.com today, you've got to separate this, compartmentalize this, and I know it's almost impossible to do. So Joe Judge is going to have to answer to that. He's going to have to watch his messaging in terms of where he's at and stay focused. And one in five is one thing. He needs to be able to get this team back on track. And the the Giants need to play for Joe Judge as much as Joe Judge needs to get everything straight for the Giants. The assistant coaches have to do their part to help Joe Judge in this entire regime right now. And that leads us to Sunday, which is really an ironic twist in that the Giants are at their lowest and Judge reaches a premature crossroads, if you will, of his tenure. And... On the opposite sideline will be Matt Rule. And you go back to January of 2019. At the 11th hour, Matt Rule places a call, or at least Matt Rule and his representatives place a call to John Mara and say they got an offer to become the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. What should they do? Will you match an offer? What will you give us? This is what David Tepper is offering. And Mara having been part of the group that interviewed Joe Judge earlier that day, new rule was going to come up for an interview on on that following day, that next morning. And because Joe Judge impressed so much and because the Giants were unwilling to match each and every criteria that the Carolina Panthers were willing to give to Matt Rule, Matt Rule's interview was canceled. Matt Rule was hired as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers early that morning. And then, really a couple hours later, Joe Judge was named the head coach of the New York Giants. So when you go into Sunday, there's going to be a lot. As I talk with Darren Gant later in the Behind Front of Me Line segment, Sam Darnold will be a topic this weekend. We'll watch how these two teams play. Likely no Saquon Barkley. Christian McCaffrey won't be on the field. There are a lot of... Things that didn't pan out as far as this matchup goes when it was put on the schedule for this weekend. But the juxtaposition of, in in a bizarre world, what would have happened had Matt Rule accepted the job with the Giants, and Joe Judge likely ends up then at his alma mater at Mississippi State, That those dominoes that fell, to me, set up an interesting situation and scenario Sunday at MetLife Stadium. There'll be a lot of talk of booze. There'll be a lot of talk of whether the fans leave early 
or even show up at all. For me, this is a huge statement for the Giants and Joe Judge. To lose this game on Sunday against Matt Rule, that's just going to open up a whole nother can of this organization figuring out where it goes from here and what's left on the docket in terms of how much can this team improve and whether or not they are moving in the right direction. I think Joe Judge is still the right guy to coach this team. I think a lot needs to change around him, and I think they need to answer that bell. A lot of people look at this and say, there's not much to gain from the remainder of the season. I disagree. I think the Giants have a lot to gain and a lot to prove the rest of the season that have nothing to do with the NFC East, the playoffs, or anything else like that. They can only go up from here, and I think they need to kind of make a statement over the next two months in order to be able to, to get this thing going. We're going to move on to our next part of the show. But first, this message from our friends at Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook, a global sports betting leader, is now live in New Jersey and Colorado. Make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. For a limited time, new users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply 21 and over. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. So the Giants are currently two and a half point underdogs at home to the Panthers. You have a one and five team in the Giants going against three and three. And Carolina out of the gates was a team that was looked at as a playoff team. And now they're probably looking at the Giants as a get right game after spending the last three weeks as a get right game themselves. Most recently against the Minnesota Vikings down in Charlotte. So I had a chance after practice on Wednesday to sit down with Adoree Jackson. High-profile acquisition, surprising acquisition. The Giants made a huge investment that was really criticized in certain circles in the league that the Giants were paying, overpaying really, for a player that had not projected at that position was coming off an injury. And to this point, Jackson has not had an impact in that secondary. But I don't know if you could point fingers just at Adoree. I think this entire defense needs to show some accountability for all of the losses that they've had injury-wise up front uh, in offense. This defense needs to step up this weekend big time. So here's Adoree Jackson, what he had to say. We looked at his journey a little bit from USC to the Giants through Tennessee what he's all about, some good stories, and facing his old USA team, USC teammate, Sam Darnold. All right, I'm sitting here out on the patio at the Giants training facility after practice, and with me is Adoree Jackson. Adoree, thanks for joining me this week. I appreciate you having me on. So, obviously, we got a lot to cover in, in the interview. You've had some story getting here to, to New York. Um, so we can hit on a bunch of different things. What would you say motivates you 
as an athlete, and has that changed over the years? Uh, I think the biggest things that probably motivated me was um, getting away from my family when I was like 14, 15 years old, um, going out to California to pursue you know, my dreams to play football. I feel like that motivation of not letting them down and my city down was like a, a big thing. Uh, I didn't want to leave, I didn't have to come back and people say like, what happened? Are you supposed to do this and do that? So that was always a, uh, a motivational factor. And then just like the, the kid I still have inside of me, you know, wanting to achieve certain things and do certain things and not trying to let that dream that I had um, down. So kind of that, that idea of, you know, you, you fear that you won't meet the expectations that people have for you? No, I don't say meet the expectations uh, that people have for me because I know my I'll probably be exceed or be more than they probably would think or imagine. Um, I just think that I just always want to make those who supported me, you know, my mom, my dad, you know, when I say family, like my immediate family, I want to make them happy. Um, and obviously, at the end of the day, they're going to have my back and support no matter what. So those are the things that I, I, I thought about. Like, I want to make sure my family's happy and make sure that they know that, okay, they sent their son off and he's doing good and he's doing the right thing. I raised him right and he's doing what he has to do. Gotcha. Uh, obviously, the first six games have not gone as you guys have liked. This is a very tight group pretty quickly in the, in the summer, especially in the secondary. How would you describe the mood of the team when success doesn't happen the way you guys anticipated? Uh, I think the mood is just get back at it, compete, and keep grinding. Understand that you know, it's a long season. It's a, it's a lot of ups, it's a lot of downs. Um, it's a lot of ball left to be played. And uh, just keep working. Uh, you, know, I, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You know, obviously nobody wants to be in this situation or, or be in a predicament like this, but all you can do is work. You know, you never question you know, what's going on. You just put your head down, work, and you know, things will fall into place and, and go right. Uh, take me inside your individual work week. You have the game against the Rams on Sunday. Uh, we've always been told a DB at any level has to kind of have that amnesia to move on to the next play. What do you do to start getting ready for the Panthers and kind of put Sunday behind you? Uh, first, you know, getting your body right, uh, working on your, getting your mind right, your mental, um, getting ready for the next week, and then just start prepping and preparing. Obviously, it's all about, you know, you say have amnesia and not think about, you know, what happened in the past, well, obviously you have to look at it and, and make corrections and, and build on it and be better. So I think that's the whole preparation of, of a work week. You know, things the things that you do well, you don't really, don't you, I don't want to say you don't too much care about it, you see it okay, and then the things that you don't do well, you got to go out there and try to correct them and improve. So I think that's the, the mindset of, of us as, as players. The last thing a competitor wants to hear is someone challenge their effort, whoever that, whoever is doing the challenging. Um, obviously, this team's effort was challenged a little bit by the coaching staff at halftime, wanting to see how you guys would come out in the second half and show what you did. I mean, we always hear there's no hiding from the eye in the sky, right? So how does a team answer that kind of challenge collectively? Um, I mean, pretty much starts throughout practice. I mean, finishing throughout every drill, finishing throughout every play. Understanding that, you know, you play the game for 60 minutes, you know, not 59 and, and 30 seconds, but you go out there for 60 minutes and, and go out there and, and compete and play. And I think, you know, it wasn't like challenging anybody's effort. It was just saying you knew that, you know, our backs against the wall situation was 28 to 3. I mean, you've seen different situations where teams have come back, so it was just about fighting and keep going. So I think it wasn't um, to challenge effort, it was just to have a mentality that, hey, it's a whole lot of ball left. You know, they did what they had to do, and it can, it can go in our way if it, if it went. You know, the Rams use a lot of rub routes and pick plays. I mean, and we see that in, in today's game. I mean, what are the challenges when you're defending that? How does a defense neutralize that? Because if done well, that play design favors the offense. Mm -hmm. It kind of puts you guys in tough spots. Uh, I just think, you know, a little bit of uh, communication. You know, 
our standpoints, you know, to see what's going on, understanding, seeing the looks, and just putting yourself in position, you know, to prevent that play, make a play, and then, you know, you know what they, you know, like to do and try to, yeah, I mean, just try to prevent it, and if they beat you or something else, it's like, okay, figure out how to play that one, but, you know, you just try to communicate and think and try to play everything out and figure out, you know, what you need to do. Is that even more of a challenge in, in the red zone area when, you know, you know what they're trying to do, you know they're doing it, you guys communicate and work on it all week, but... If they run it to perfection, there's really nothing. I mean, it's designed to put you in bad position. Um, I wouldn't say it's challenging. I mean, that's what, you know, you want to face challenges. And, you know, something they do well, you want to at least try to eliminate it or stop them. So that's just the nature of playing, you know, this this game. You know, you look forward to, you know, different tasks. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's challenging at all. Um, just got to do better and be better. That's it. Do the job, right? Right, exactly. Uh, all right, let's turn the page to Sunday in Carolina. You obviously have a familiar face and an old friend in Sam Darnold with your days at USC. What's your best uh, Sam Darnold memory? Um, you know, I remember him when he came in as a, a freshman. Um, so I had two. Uh, one was just freshman year, you know, on scout team, tearing it up, doing his thing, you know, going crazy. Then my other one was, you know, that season when we went all the way to the Rose Bowl. Um, and I don't want to say a specific moment, but just – him throughout that season, you know, just him being him, understand he didn't have a starting job, you know, he's been patient, ended up getting a starting job. Uh, his first start, we ended up losing, but he played a hell of a game, and then we went on 10, 10 straight wins and became Rose Bowl champion, so uh, I just say that, you know, the body of work, you know, his mentality, and who he is as a person, and I feel like that's, that trumps everything, you know, a good person, a good guy. People might, might not realize that you actually caught at least one touchdown pass from him that I saw. Right, uh, yeah. How, how was it being in his huddle, in the offensive huddle? Um, it was cool. Uh, so I, I really would just go there during the games uh, or, like, after practice, the coach helped me look, look up a couple plays and be like, all right, use your plays and just get ready for them on Saturday. So, you know, I was, if I was in the game, I pretty much knew the whole playbook. So I was just listening to see what's going on, see what he got. And, and um, yeah, he threw me a – Give me a touchdown against Notre Dame. So it was pretty cool. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. was. So if you close your eyes, you mentioned the Rose Bowl game, and obviously that was a classic. We know is for people in New York when when Sam Darnold and Saquon were drafted, everybody went back to that game. You were obviously in that game. If you close your eyes and think back, what what are some of the things that that come to mind from that game? Man, the biggest thing would be uh, man, I was down 17 points in the fourth quarter. Um, coming back and kicking the game with a field goal. I, the, the biggest memory is really you got Deontay Burnett, um, a guy that was like a blue shirt. I don't even know. People probably don't know what that is. But really, what is it? Explain to me. So it's like you you have a scholarship, but it's not for that year. So you have to wait until another school year. So he was basically out there on his own. Went to the same high school as me. So mind you, he was my quarterback. Okay. Backup quarterback in high school. Switched to receiver my senior year in high school. And then next, you know, comes to SC and scores three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. So that just lets you know, you know, the, the work ethic and, you know, the type of guys that we, you know, had us had around us. Um, him scoring those three touchdowns. Sam Darnold, you know, having a Rose Bowl record. And then um, Boymeister was our kicker. He had the dab. I, I remember kicking the field goal before he even went in. or We had uh, this thing when we do field goals. We knew the trajectory. And, like, we used to have this, this Baxter. Coach Baxter would put this a string on the goalpost and to where the ball is, you know, when you're kicking it. it show you, like, okay, if it's in this angle, it's for sure going down the middle. It's doing this. And okay. pretty much so when he kicked the ball, he already knew it was in. He turns around, runs down back with his back against the field goal and the ball going in. <laughs> And does the dab. So those are my three biggest memories. Seeing um, 
you know, us coming up from 17, Leon McQuay getting the pick to get us in the position to actually win the game. Um, Darnold and Deontay Burnett going crazy, and then Boy Mister um, doing the field goal to win the game. Cool. That, that guy Saquon may have made a couple plays that no, no, for sure. you don't want to remember. No, no, no. <laughs> he made some plays, but I mean, being down 17 in the fourth quarter when you think, I mean, probably everybody thought we was not going to win the game, but us knowing we were a second-half team, I mean, we had fight and we understood, you know, anything could happen, and it did. People forget that you were also a track star at USC, and you, those bright lights out there were, you know, people may look at USC now, but those lights, when they're on, they are bright. How did you, what did you learn about yourself being in that situation out there at USC? Um, I just always wanted to compete. I mean, growing up, I wanted to go to the Olympics, so being able to go to the Olympic trials and make it to the finals in the long jump, um, we're pretty much just going from football to track and going back and forth not really having no consistent body of work, man, just shows you know, I guess the heart and the will and the power, I mean, once you believe in yourself you believe in what you're doing, you can do a lot of different things so, um, you just look back at it, and I, I knew if Coach Hilton was going to allow me to do it, I got to put my best foot forward, and he was like, well if I remember the promise I made to you when you were in high school, and said you can just run track you don't have to worry about football, and when he became the head coach, he made that true, so it was like you see certain people do certain things, and you be like, okay, if he's going to do this for me, I got to do everything I can. And that's what I told him. When football season comes, I'm going to give you the best I got, and I'm going to win the Thorpe. And it ended up going that way. Uh, this being crucial catch month in the NFL, obviously the, the fight against cancer hit home for you with right. your mom uh, and her battle with breast cancer. What What's that encapsulate every year when this comes up for you and your, and your mom and, and what it meant? To go through that. I think in 2000, when it happened in, in 2015, it was more about, I mean, obviously, you always appreciate. I don't think it's one month that it's, it's like, oh, dang, it, it's, it's different now. I think, you know, it's more every day, you know, that you learn to appreciate not just life, but the things around you and the people around you. I don't want to say I ever took my, my parents for granted, but at the end of the day, you never think like, oh, that could have been it. So um, just trying to value and appreciate life and be in the moment and understand you don't want to let be too caught up in, in, in life, but trying to enjoy it and, and flow with it. I know she's a, still a tremendous inspiration, both of your parents. How, how is she doing? How is she feeling? Yeah, she's, she's great. Um, talk, text almost every day. Uh, I would say text mostly. Uh, we talk on the phone as well. And, um, you know, just a good-spirited person. Because I know when we get on the phone, I look at the phone, we hang up, it's like 48 minutes have passed and I don't even know like we just be talking and chatting up so it's it's cool that you know I have parents um you know to talk to and to be around so I was fortunate you know um to have a great mom a great father and a great support system to be able to help me out when I'm feeling low or to to just be there for me and push me I heard about the epic tailgates and not just in Tennessee or at USC or high school, but Pop Warner, right, right, and your right. dad with that that grill and everything. What was the deal, and is it still alive today? Um, yeah, it started when I was my. I don't remember my first year for Pop Warner, but my second year Pop Warner, I was 11 years old, and I just remember us on the back of the, um, on the highway, the grills on. I remember telling my dad like, you know, the grill's still on, like it's smoking right now. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, yeah, I know. When we get to the game. And then after the game, we played Pop Warner. It was everybody's eating barbecue. So I mean, he's been barbecuing for forever. Like that's been a, a family thing from his dad coming on down to him. And you know, my brother does it. Um, so man, I think that's just his way of, of giving back. You know, being there, and understanding like it's, it's good to have a, a 
a male figure in your life. And if he's not just a father for me, but for other people to show, like, you got people in your corner and you can do different things in life. So, you know, having him do that and just being there to talk and uplift, you never know what someone is going through and it can help them out. So, you know, I appreciate having that. Awesome. Uh, we usually finish it up with some fun stuff, kind of a two-minute drill. Gotcha. Uh, if, if you could line up against any wide receiver ever to test yourself, who would it be and why? Um, I grew up, my favorite wide receiver is Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that, I mean, speaks for itself because he's my favorite you know, receiver growing up and I started off with an offense. And I feel like if, if any other receiver, he wasn't a receiver, Reggie Bush, I was like my two favorite, you know, offensive players that I – I grew up liking. Awesome. Uh, if you could get one musical act, any artist from any time period, to do a private show for you and a group of your friends and family, who would it be? Mm. I'm torn either between. I mean, I grew up a Saint Lunatic fan, <laughs> so I mean, I feel like the whole, you know, Midwest region would appreciate that uh, to have them come out for the friends and family. But the other one would be. Uh, probably Drake. You know, I grew up liking Drake and Lil Wayne, so probably one of the two. So yeah. Uh, I read you would dunk on a mini basketball hoop by jumping over the king bed in your house when you were a little kid. Yeah. Was there a player you were trying to imitate, or what do you think the best dunk of all time is? Uh, I think I wasn't. A, I would say Jordan, but you know, I grew up a Space Jam like fanatic and, and loving Space Jam. So my mom used to tell me like I would run through like four to five Fisher Price goals, and after a while. Instead of buying, then they would give me a regular basketball hoop, so I couldn't dunk. <laughs> and then I feel like that just made me more. I mean, I think that just helped me out with you know being an athlete, you know, having a challenge. Like, well, I can't even get up there yet, but I know eventually I will. So I think that um, was the, the the athlete that I was trying to admire. And the best dunk, in my opinion, would be um, man Derrick Rose. Um, we did the two hand cockback over Dragic against the Suns. I don't know. I mean, Derrick Rose had a lot of great dunks. Um, I just grew up a D Rose fan. Um, now and you I get to go like, over and watch him in the garden. Man, right? of course. I'm excited. I seen him a couple times when I was in college when he came out there to play the Clippers and Lakers because they got to play back to back. So that was right. cool. Um, but yeah, I think just, yeah, he had some crazy dunks even in high school. Um, but I feel like, you know, D Rose is one of my favorite dunkers. Uh, last one. I heard you were a reality TV buff. So if you had to binge watch a re- one reality TV show, what would it be? Uh, reality TV show. You know, uh, I just got done watching The Bachelorette yesterday. It's pretty cool. I didn't finish the whole thing, but if I had to watch one, it would be probably the the, the Food Network stars. I actually like watching the cooking shows and just, I mean, I like food, so I just like seeing what's going on and seeing what'll be the next Food Network star. Either it's the Chopped, whatever it may be. So I think that's one of the reality shows that I can probably appreciate a lot, like one of those Food Network shows. Awesome. So like in five, ten years, are we going to see a Dory Jackson on the Bachelorette? No, nah, not me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you'd rather watch. No, nah, I just like watching it because my old lady, she, um, she got me into it actually, so I just watch it with her, and then so yeah, that's one of the, like a common thing that we we do. So no, nah, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be on that. <laughs> Adore Jackson, thank you for your thanks for for being here, and obviously good luck this weekend. No, I appreciate you so much. My thanks to Adore Jackson. After practice on Wednesday, it'll be interesting to see how Jackson, James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney with the two picks last week. How that secondary responds against Sam Darnold. You know, the bottom line is if this Patrick Graham defense is going to get back to where it was last year, 
fooling opposing quarterbacks with disguises on the back end, forcing turnovers. This is the week they're going to have to do it. No Christian McCaffrey, Sam Darnold. No one in New York needs to hear about Sam Darnold and his propensity for making plays both positive and negative. I don't know if he's going to see any ghosts on Sunday, but those ghosts may be of his Jets past and not necessarily anything the Giants are going to do. Uh, But that is where this game will be won if the Giants somehow can pull off the mini upset. In our Behind Frenemy Line segment, talk to Darren Gant. A lot of great information, and you know the guys that from down south. Once you hear him open his mouth, Darren Gant, here's Behind Frenemy Lines. Okay, now it's time for our Behind Frenemy Lines segment, and I welcome in Darren Gant from Panthers.com. But Darren's a lot more than just a reporter for the team website. Almost three decades now, Darren, of bouncing around, covering beat work in the NFL, and a lot of respect from a lot of your colleagues uh, from coast to coast. So thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of you to say, or Happy to join you. So, you know, it's an interesting game this weekend. Uh, I think before the season, we probably would have had uh, a little bit more juice for this one, given the giant circumstances. That That's kind of kind of made them a get-right game for the Panthers, I think. But take me inside uh, the franchise right now, where you're sitting, what Matt Rule is trying to accomplish after that quick start. Uh, how do you think the team is heading into the Meadowlands this weekend? You know, it's interesting you say that, Art, because I think right now, based on the last three weeks, a lot of people probably look at the Carolina Panthers as a get-right game for them. So it's it's been kind of a, a weird flip and really if you look at the at the schedule i remember back in training camp telling people you know the panthers could start three and oh and we'll not know exactly what they're all about and that's kind of what happened they did go three and oh and and then christian mccaffrey got hurt down in houston and then jc horn their first round pick at cornerback got hurt uh and it was just kind of a it's the last couple of weeks have just sort of snowballed on them. A lot of weird stuff, a lot of strange uh, occurrences, but a lot of it traces back to the fact that they're out there playing without their best offensive player, their leader in the middle of the defense in Shaq Thompson, and their margin of error is so small that little things start to stack up, and it just kind of came to a crescendo the other day. Darnold throws a pick on the first play of the game. Robbie Anderson can't catch a pass. You know, all of a sudden, all this all this stuff that looked like a strength turned into a weakness, and you know they're sitting here three and three, trying to figure out what they're all about. It's amazing how that happens. You know, you said their their centerpiece of their offense and Christian McCaffrey. Giants are looking at that, going, okay, check Saquon Barkley, <laughs> the man in the middle, Shaq Thompson, Blake Martinez went out for an ACL out for the year. So it's kind of there are those parallels. The Giants have those two games that they really get away back to back, losing on walk off field goals. They should have had Washington beaten, and they did if they didn't get called for offsides on a field goal. Uh, and then they lost on a walk off to the Falcons. So it, it is funny how both of these teams are, are going through very similar situations. The only difference is that the Giants are sitting there at one and five. You know, in a bizarro world, uh, Matt Rule is coaching the Giants. Who knows where Joe Judge is, and who knows who the head coach of the Carolina Panthers is? Uh, take me inside Matt Rule, 
and what he's meant to the organization, his program, and where you guys are at, and how much of a whirlwind it was last year when when that whole thing went down in January on the eve of uh, an interview with the Giants that never happened. Yeah, well, I mean, new owner Dave Tepper came in and really took a look around and wanted to change the way things had gone. I mean, in franchise history, the Panthers had had four coaches, and they were all NFL guys. I mean, mostly defensive coordinators, and then the ill-fated George Seifert experiment, (laughs) uh, which didn't go great. But they had always hired, you know, NFL coordinators, defensive guys who had done things a certain way. Kepper wanted to do business differently, and he does business differently than Jerry Richardson did for sure. And, you know, what he wanted was somebody who built programs. And when he looked at what Matt Rule did at Temple and Baylor, it was easy to fall for that. And, you know, I, I think that's the thing as you look at the Panthers right now. They are still very much... Uh, a work in progress. They are still building. They are still, you know, trying to get pieces together. I think they've made a significant amount of progress, to be honest with you, in the last year, um, just to get the roster where it is right now. But I, I think Matt would probably tell you that there's still a good bit of work to be done. They're not nearly where they need to be. But I, I think if you look at the strides they've made putting together a roster, if you look at that defensive side of the ball, that's where they have to win. Uh, and they invested the entire 2020 draft. They go out and sign some veteran free agents, guys like Hassan Reddick, Daquan Jones, A.J. Boye, to sort of prop up a lot of those young guys, and they're really active, and they're really, you know, pretty stout. I mean, they were first in the league through the first three weeks when things were going well, and, and still a pretty good defense, I think. You can't leave them out there for 89 plays like they were out against the Vikings the other day, but I think still a really good side of the ball, and and Matt knew when he looked at it, he had to refresh the defense. They committed to it. They did that. And now they're in the process of putting an offense together and really sort of figuring out what Sam Darnold's going to be all about. I think, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was a bridge guy, so to speak. And, you know, it was always going to be, after the Cam Newton years, some degree of transition. And those things never seemed to go smoothly. So the fact that they hit the reset button, went for Sam Darnold, and really tried to insulate Sam, and that kind of goes back to Matt's idea of building things from the ground up. They they thought Sam Darnold had a lot of talent. They wanted to insulate him, put parts around him, and if you look at it on paper going into the season, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, he never had help like that in his life. So early on, Sam looked pretty sharp, and I, and I think when he – allows himself to sort of play within the system and do the basic things, Sam can be okay. And they've just got to get back to doing that because last week got weird in a hurry and got away from him. Yeah, you know, obviously we were going to get to Darnold, and, you know, he comes back to, to MetLife Stadium uh, in this situation. You know, this could be a pretty good day for Sam Darnold if you're just judging on paper. Uh, Obviously, I know Matt said, you know, they're going to rededicate themselves to the running game this weekend, but when the Giants in back-to-back weeks, when you see Dak Prescott and then Matthew Stafford throw the ball all over the yard uh, with relative ease, I got to imagine that if they have opportunities, uh, Mr. Brady is going to allow Sam Darnold to chuck it a little bit as well if things go down that route. Uh, was it too much put on Darnold once uh, McCaffrey went out? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot to put on anybody. I mean, it, you know, certainly I, I think 
you know, Teddy Bridgewater would tell you last year he would have loved having uh, Christian McCaffrey, but he didn't for 13 games. So Very good it, point. It's going to be tough. I mean, but but Sam is, you know, he's going to have to make some plays downfield, like you said. I mean, and I and I think some of that's going to be inevitable. But I think the talk about trying to emphasize the run is more about simplifying things and making sure Sam knows it's not all on him because that's. You know, that's kind of the way they wanted to build it is is to make Sam Darnold one of them and instead of being, you know, first-round pick, New York, on all the expectations to go with that. Do you get a sense from Sam? I mean, I know obviously it'll be asked later in the week, but coming back up here, I mean, I know he, he's kind of an even-kill guy. He's never really a, you know, we're, we're not talking Baker Mayfield here where Sam's going to start <laughs> – pointing out everyone in the New York media who doubted him. Uh, but with Sam, is is there that, that feeling of, of an urgency of if this thing starts slipping away, he's kind of missing his opportunity for that, that second chance and coming up to New York, what that would mean for him? I, I think, you know, and, and it sounds corny when you hear athletes, particularly quarterbacks, talk about the next game and all that. But, you know, he opened up his career here against the Jets. So every, you know, sidebar that could be written was being written, you know. And, and Sam walked in that week and somebody said something about, well, obviously this is not just another game. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at us and he said, is it? I thought it was. And, and I mean, he's sincere. I, I truly believe that in Sam's mind, this stuff isn't as big as a lot of times we make it out to be. He's just trying to get his feet back underneath him as an NFL quarterback. And, and he he is such a daily guy that I, I kind of believe him when he says that stuff. It sounds like cliches when it can't, comes out of so many guys' mouths. But he kind of lives it that way. I mean, Sam is a, a regular enough guy down at training camp this summer. He's literally the first guy walking out on the practice field every day, sort of punching the clock and, and trying to fit in. And that's what they wanted from him, and that's what they want him to get back to these next couple of weeks. You know, it's funny. The more you describe Sam Darnold, it, it really a year later from what Darnold went through last year is really what Daniel Jones is facing now for the Giants, especially if there's a front office change and, and Dave Gettleman, who obviously the Carolina Panthers know very well and parted ways with before he came to the Giants, you know, Daniel Jones could find himself in a very similar situation to Sam does this year. Uh, I need you to tell me a little bit about the defensive front because I know Phil Snow and that defense wants to get after it if they can, uh, especially with the Giants placing Andrew Thomas, their left tackle, uh, really a promising start to his second season, putting that bus label behind. But the Giants are hurting up front, and I got to imagine that the Panthers are coming here, especially Hassan Reddick, who who last year with the Cardinals had, I think it was 17 sacks in that one game of Daniel Jones. I'm not sure. I may have shorted him one. Uh, but yeah. tell me about the no, defensive front. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a different defensive front seven. I mean, they want to move guys around. Matt talks about positionless players a lot. And, you know, they've got Brian Burns, who's a 250-pound defensive end, who will stand up and move around and drop every now and then. Hassan Reddick, you know, your basic 6'1", 235-pound pass rusher. So there's nothing normal about these guys. And it was effective early. I mean, they play, you know, they play fast rather than big. And, and Dallas and Minnesota really got after them and leaned on them physically with their offensive lines. And I, and I think people will probably try to do that over the 
course of the season, but they want to play you fast. They want to move around and come at you from different angles. Early on, it worked. And like I said, they've got to come up with an answer for the people who just want to mash them. And, and you know, they need to do it quick because 14 sacks in the three games, but two in the last three, and, and that's an issue for them. You know, they can't do business the way they want to defensively if they're not making quarterbacks move, if they're not hurrying things up. They're trying to create turnovers. I, I think they've got, and especially with Stephon Gilmore rolling back in this week, I don't know that he'll play a full workload, but adding a Stephon Gilmore to a secondary that wasn't bad to begin with, um, it gives them a little hope, but they got to make more plays up front. That you mentioned Gilmore, that was my last. That was going to be my parting shot. The idea of when you add a Stephon Gilmore, it sends a message to your entire team of how you know how much you prioritize what they've done so far. Did you feel that in the locker room uh, and within you know within the organization when you guys make the move for Gilmore that it was really a statement about what you ex- what they expected from this team or at least what they believed from this team. Sure. When you trade a future pick for a guy, I mean, he's a former NFL Defensive Player of the Year, but his contract's up at the end of the year. So he's effectively a rental. You know, they'd like to re-sign him, they think, uh, if everything goes well. But they don't know if that's going to happen. But when they made that trade, you know, at the time, everybody was sort of walking around at 3-1 and one still thinking – it was trending in a positive direction and everybody's like they're ready to win now that's the that was the overwhelming message of that and 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 it does lend a little bit of gravity to what they're doing because phil snow was walking around introducing stefan to guys the other week and he walked him into a defensive line room and there was a rookie and he said hey do you guys know stefan and the kid said everybody knows who that is (laughs) i mean it does It, it gives a little bit of credence to what they're trying to build here and certainly it's a different sort of deal. I mean, Stefan is from here. He's a Rock Hill kid just down the road from Charlotte in an area that's cranked out a lot of NFL talent. If you look at Jadavian Clowney uh, was a high school teammate of his. You know, Jonathan Joseph, there's a ton. Jeff Burris, a lot of NFL talent. Ben Watson, a number of guys have come out of Rock Hill and, and had a lot of success. He's the first one to come home. So, I mean, it's gonna, there are going to be a lot of emotions for him getting back in here and, and actually getting on the field because he talked about this was a place he always wanted to get to. And if the Patriots had cut him, you know, even though a lot of people talked about, ah, he'll want to go to a contender, he said, you know, I was probably going to sign here. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he's got. He's coming off that injury. But, yeah, I mean, when you go out and trade for a player of that magnitude, it tells everybody in the room you're serious. Darren Gant, Panthers.com. Love your coverage. Make sure you check him out the rest of the week. A lot of Giants connections down there. Carolina, Chase Blackburn, Al Holcomb is there uh, on the coaching staff. Obviously, Matt Rule has the Giants ties. Probably can go more and more in depth. But, Darren, thank you so much for joining me on All In, and, and I really appreciate it. You got it. Talk to you soon, Art. Thanks much to Darren Gant for our segment this week on the Panthers. A lot of great information there. And like I said to him, and I've said several times this week, when he started talking about the team that is missing its number one offensive piece and missing its leader on the defense, I thought for a second, are you talking the Panthers or are you talking the Giants? No Saquon Barkley, most likely. No Christian McCaffrey, definitely. He's on IR. 
The Panthers lost, Sha- lost Shaq Thompson in the middle of their defense. Dave Gettleman draft pick. Blake Martinez is out for the season with an ACL. So this game is not exactly as advertised. We had a lot of hopes for this game in terms of star power. Uh, the Giants are likely to to have less star power on the field offensively than the Panthers. But I think this game needs to be won on the defensive side of the ball. With Andrew Thomas out, the Giants need to block it up well up front. Yes, there are pieces on the Carolina defensive front. Hassan Reddick and his game-wrecking ability. No one needs to tell the Giants about that after his performance with the Arizona Cardinals at MetLife Stadium last year. But the bottom line is the Giants need this one. Joe Judge needs this one. This coaching staff needs this one to keep this team afloat. I don't have to tell you what comes next on the road in Kansas City on a Monday night against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They need to get to 2-5. and five. Period. Stop. And if they don't, they're continuing down a road that no one wants to see the Giants go down. Regardless of what changes you want in this front office, you have some good things in place right now. Some. I'm not going to quantify it. You can't quantify it by wins and losses. But I do believe there are certain aspects of this team that are better than what they were two years ago. You got to start getting some wins. It's just just the way it has to be. So if Joe Judge is imploring his team to be all in, I guess that's a perfect way to end this show. Time to be all in, 2021 New York Giants. Forget the boos. Forget the way things have gone to this point. Forget the injuries. Go out and win a football game on Sunday. Make people cheer for you. Make them respect you. And if you can beat the Carolina Panthers, you get to 2-5. and You can exhale a little bit and then set your sights on going on the road in prime time and not getting embarrassed. 